0: What is sexual immorality? We're going to answer that question. In the New Testament, the word most often translated into sexual morality is pornea. This word also translates as whoredom, fornication, and idolatry. It means a surrendering of sexual purity and is primarily describing a premarital sexual relationship. Sexual immorality is the selling off of sexual purity and involves any type of sexual expression outside the boundaries of a biblically defined marriage relationship. The connection between sexual immorality and idolatry is best understood in the context of flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. The bodies of believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. When we use our physical bodies for immoral purposes, we are imitating pagan worship by profaning God's holy temple with acts he calls detestable. Biblical prohibitions against sexual immorality are often coupled with warnings against impurity. This word in the Greek is akatharsia, which means defiled, foul, or ceremonially unfit. It connotes actions that render a person unfit to enter God's presence. Those who persist in unrepentant, immorality, and impurity cannot come into the presence of God. It is impossible to maintain a healthy intimacy with God when our bodies and our souls are given over to impurities of any kind. Sexuality is God's design. He alone can define the parameters for its use. The Bible is clear that sex was created to be enjoyed between one man and one woman who are in a covenant marriage until one of them dies. Any expression of it outside those parameters constitutes an abuse of God's gift. The Bible calls this sin. Adultery, premarital sex, pornography, and homosexual relations are all outside of God's design, which makes them sin. Here are some common objections to God's commands against sexual immorality. Number one, it's not wrong if we love each other. The Bible makes no distinction between loving and unloving sexual relations. The only biblical distinction is between married and unmarried people. Sex within marriage is blessed. Sex outside of marriage is fornication or sexual immorality. Number two, times have changed and what was wrong in biblical times is no longer considered sin. We have no problem understanding that greed, lust, stealing, these things are still sin. God's character does not change with a culture's opinion. Number three, we're married in God's eyes. This argument implies that God is cross-eyed. The fallacy of this idea is that the God who created marriage in the first place would retract His own condemnation of what He's called sin. God declared marriage to be one man and one woman, united for life, and His eyes see immorality for what it is, regardless of how cleverly we have redefined it. Number 4. I can still have a good relationship with God because He understands proverbs 28 9 says if one turns away his ear from hearing the law even his prayer is an abomination we fool ourselves when we think that we can stubbornly choose sin and God doesn't care the scripture challenges that idea we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person Hebrews 13 4 makes God's expectation for his children crystal clear let 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 marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Sexual immorality is wrong. The blood of Jesus can cleanse us from every type of impurity when we repent and receive His forgiveness, but that cleansing means our old nature, including sexual immorality, is put to death. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. That answers the question, what is sexual immorality? Research this question further on our website, godquestions.org. Be sure to click subscribe and check out these other questions.
1: So guess what we're talking about today? <laughs> Yay! Some of you are thinking, I wish we'd had the heads up. I might have left my kids downstairs or at home. No panic. We're going to just talk about Scripture today, but we are going to talk about sex because the Bible speaks about it. But here's what I think is important. Whenever we engage what the Bible has to say into our culture, it's crucial for us to understand that our culture is just like the culture in which the Bible was written. It's easy for us to do this. We think today in the United States, our culture and our place is so different from the cultures that used to be that we can't find anything here that's relevant to there. And so the Bible doesn't really speak into our culture today. And and this is a fallacy. Let me illustrate it for you. How many of you expect that the culture here in the United States of America right this minute is exactly the same as the culture in, say, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil right now? You think it's the same? Good morning. We're kind of an interactive church, so you can talk back and forth. You're visiting today. Nobody's going to laugh at you if you're like, yeah, we can do that. So do you expect that maybe the culture in uh, Soweto, South Africa, and um, um, uh, Vladivostok, Russia are exactly the same culture? Do you think that's a true statement? No, of course not. Oh, you did good. So here's the thing. Do you expect that maybe the Bible, when it speaks, it's speaking across all cultures from a place of authority? See, that's what happens. So when we read what Scripture has to say, what it's saying is regardless of the culture you may find yourself in, These are the truths that God was speaking to people who are just like you. They just live in a culture and a time that's different than yours. You give them Chevrolets and iPhones and they're going to look just like us today. And so in Corinth, they were dealing with some things that Paul is is going to confront. He's going to say, these behaviors are consistent with an old life, but they're not consistent with you who have been transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to listen to this verse um, as, as Paul's engaging them. This is going to be verse 11. He says, some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Lots of words there, but sanctified means this. It means set aside for a specific or holy purpose. Let me say it one more time if you're a note taker. Sanctified means set apart for a holy or special purpose. And so, what Paul is saying in the name and under the authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is that these attitudes and lifestyles and behaviors are separate from God's design and desire for you. And since you have become God followers, Jesus followers, so Some of these things have to be in your past and behind you as you pursue a relationship where you look more and more like Jesus Christ. You're set aside for that purpose. So this is the becoming like Jesus. Now, Sturgeon Bay Community Church takes a unique position, I think, in some people's minds. We say this, come as you are, we'll grow together. And so what we're saying is, come wherever you are in your lifestyle of of great religiosity or great sin. Come just like you are. And let's start growing at the same time in a direction of Jesus Christ, not condemning and hating one another, but recognizing we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds. And there, every single day now that follows that, there's going to be things about us that are more and more like Jesus Christ. We're going to become aware of things that are less like Jesus and begin to put those aside. We're going to wash them and be sanctified to be more like Jesus. That's the progression of the Christian life. So let's take a look at how we're going to engage this today. We're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to engage this text in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 to in its context. We're going to put it where it belongs. Then uh, we're going to hear about what are these vices Paul is calling out and specifically identifying. And thirdly, We're going to distinguish what lifestyle sins are, and spoiler alert, this has to do with idolatry. So those are the three areas that we're going to engage. So let's start here on this matter of the text and context. Anytime you take the text, that is to say what the Scripture has to say, and you take it out of the Bible, and you start to just read it and imagine what it means inside your culture um, without understanding what the rest of Scripture has to say about it, that's called Pretext. In other words, you take it out and you kind of force that verse to fit your culture. You ever seen this happen? Some people call this eisegesis. You have an idea, and you try to make the Scripture work with it. And so what we want to do here is be faithful to the Word. As a Reformed church, we believe in the Scripture alone being the source of truth. Uh, we call that sola scriptura. What we need to know about Scripture and God is found here, and all truth is located here, and this is the solitary source of truth. And so we say what Scripture has to say is true then, it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So here's what it has to say. Um, There are behaviors and there are sins which, regardless of the culture they happen in, are still sinning contrary to God's way of doing things. And if you continue in those ways, okay, you're never really going to understand what it is to be in the kingdom of heaven. Here on earth, living God's way and enjoying what it is to be the fellowship of God's people, and potentially, ultimately, finding yourself in the presence of God as His child you run that risk of saying, I, I like the God idea, but I reject his way. You run that risk that you may never really come to that point of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. You just kind of call him friend, but you're not willing to let him be Lord. And a day is going to come when like Matthew warned, Jesus warns in Matthew, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You played a game, but you were never in a relationship with me. And that's a danger of not inheriting the kingdom of heaven. So we'll be honest about that as we cross that bridge. So some people become desensitized to sin over time. They may not even recognize sin in their life because it's so common in the culture. This was the story for Corinth. And I'll argue it's the story in our culture as well. And worse yet, some claiming to be in Christ or Jesus, followers of the way, will actively seek to deceive and normalize sin in order that they don't have to follow God's way, they'll just say, everybody does it, it's part of culture, it's okay, it's legal, it's fine. You need to get up with the times and just do it God, do it our way. God needs to acquiesce to culture. Which is funny, because the Bible was written thousands of years before the American culture came, and the culture into which Paul is speaking was absolutely immersed in sexual expression and freedom and greed and some of these other things that we're going to look at. So be careful about that statement. Now, in First Timothy 4, 1 through 2, uh, Paul is talking to young Pastor Timothy, and he says, Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Now, there's a lot in that verse. We could preach on that for days, right? I think books have, have been written on this very verse. But here's the thing I want you to, to, to dial in on consciences are seared. Do you know what it is to have a seared conscience? Do you know what that is? Do you know what it is to be desensitized to something? Okay. Have you ever burned your finger like, uh, you know, you have an electric stove or something and, and you, you forget it's on and you lean on the stove and and you, kinda, and you burn it and then you don't really feel very well like that for the next, uh, you know, a couple of weeks or so? You, you've had that feeling before? Or... You've had an injury and you don't feel as good in that place. So that's this conscience of being, this, this idea of being desensitized. And it translates into this. If you see sin over and over and over and over and over, it just kind of becomes normal. We don't think of it as wrong anymore. And in our culture, just like in the Corinthian culture, um, there's a lot of sexual sin that we just don't see as wrong anymore because it's just normal. Everybody does. It's been going on all the time. Uh, You know, we just need to get up with the times and acquiesce to it because everybody says it's okay now. And the Bible's just out of date. And so as Paul's speaking into a culture, now wait for it that had the Greek and Roman sexual ethic, okay, you think, you think we've come up with anything new in America? You think we got anything new under the sun around here? Do you think we've invented some stuff that the Greeks and the Romans, for heaven's sakes, hadn't already been doing? Okay, if you're smart right now, you're realizing, now. We hadn't come up with anything really new, and so when Corinthians was written, Paul is speaking into a culture that's even more sexualized than our own, if you can imagine that. So here's what, um, here's where we're trying to get with this. Don't you know? Don't be deceived. The things that you're hearing that are called normal are still sin, and God is still going to call them out. And so, this is the this is what this this passage is talking about. So, let me read it one more time. Uh, Tia read it a little earlier, but I'm going to read it again. I just want you to hear these again, and I want you to hear that word. Don't you know? Don't be deceived, and don't you remember? I want you to listen to this. He says, "Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived." No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, no greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Listen now. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were, but now you are, is what the passage is talking about. So that's the context. And what are these vices? That Paul calls out. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? Don't you realize this? Remember that this is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and that these sins, okay, they're a part of the old life. They're not a part of the new one. But what sins is Paul specifically talking about to those 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 wily, rascally Corinthians that we wily, rascally Americans need to be hearing and saying? Okay, if it's true, then it's still true today. We need to make the parallel and understand what God's trying to say about his lifestyle. Well, um, we're going to do that. And here's the list that Paul calls out. And, and this is in any translation of the Bible that you have. This, these will take their form and, and maybe be translated slightly different. But let's look at what those are. And let's start at the bottom of the list, because I tend to think, if, if you've ever read a lot of Paul's writing, Paul tends to do this crescendo thing. You know what crescendos are? It kind of builds up it's kind of like, it mentions and mentions and mentions and mentions, and it gets to the big one, like, ba-boom, when you get to the end of the list. So let's start at the ba-boom and then work our way backwards, okay? Not that one sins worse than the other. You got that, right? Just do this if you got me on this. All sin is sin. It's falling short of the glory of God. But some of these have greater impact, and some of these are more dramatic. And most, some of them, this is where we're going, in this culture of the Corinthians, in this culture, some of these sins, although they're destructive, were just more accepted than others. And that's why Paul lists them. So what's where we go swindlers? Swindlers are the people um, that, that take from others, they cheat them they're greedy they're the ones who uh, include you know filler ingredients in there and then sell it as a pure product they're the ones who, who contaminate the product and pass it along they're the ones that give you that car that's going to break down in a week and they know it, but they're going to sell it to you as it is They're the cheats they're going to swindle you with a product that's not all it claims to be or a service that isn't all it claims to be they're the people that don't paint behind the door. you know what I'm saying they're the cheaters. This is what these swindlers are. And people in the church who are swindlers, they're doing things contrary to God's will. And that's what Paul's saying. You're never really going to understand or enter the kingdom of heaven with this kind of behavior. Slanderers. These are the people who are verbally abusive of others. They tear down other people to build themselves up. Ugh. Have you had to deal with these people before? They're the gossips, the one who've always got the dirt. They trash people when they're not there, then act nice to their face. Or they're the people who are just constantly negative and attacking and just just constantly having to be aggressive. This is the verbally abusive. And then drunkards. Among the greedy, amongst the others, this, this wicked behavior of drunkenness in their culture has to do with things that we would refer to as inebriation or being high or using narcotics. All this was part of that term drunkenness that they used in one. Now, before you go, no, it just has to do with alcohol, um, don't be so naive. They had drugs in the ancient world for heaven's sakes. After all, this is the ancient Middle East, which is where opioids came from. And the people who were the worshipers of some of the different seers and and idols and temples back then, they would use opioids as part of their acts of worship. And so this term drunkenness refers not just to alcohol, but any substance that causes you to be out of your right mind. How about thieves? Anybody love a thief? Anybody ever been robbed? Had things stolen from you? Really? That's all? I would think it would be more. Well, welcome to surgery bay. So if you've, if you, if you've been thieved, somebody's stolen from you, you know what it is to be violated, to have, th- have things taken from you. And isn't it worse if there's no way to make it right? They took something you can't replace. Or insurance says, oh, I'm sorry, that's not covered. <laughs> you know, swindlers, by the way, right? And so that people take from you. I'm sorry, that wasn't in the notes. And so, so these are things that are mentioned. But then we get up to this next one. And as soon as we do this, everybody gets real uncomfortable. Like, oh, we're not supposed to talk about this insurance church. Oh, this makes us phobic or hateful. But it says it right here. It says, Maloacai arsenikoites. Right? Right? Oh, oh. you want me to translate it? Okay. So, Malawakai arsenicoites is the term that is used in the scripture. And here's what it means Malawakai was, was a male culture of those who were effeminate, kind of dressed like women, or dressed in, in a very, uh, what we, uh, the old term was prissy, kind of a way. They, they dressed that way, and they took on a female persona, and they, they were people who were homosexual in their relationships with other men, who may be more powerful men, more wealthy men, or they may actually sell themselves into these relationships to be the toy or the sex toy of other men. You uncomfortable yet? Can you believe the Bible talks about this stuff? Sure does. And arsenokoitai is the other side of this male uh, relationship. These are the active uh, doer best I can do here, sorry, in mixed company, um, in, in the relationship. These are the ones who are the dominant. They may be the one who are hiring or the one who is taking or the one who is um, doing the, the process here. And so the maloakaios and is translated into the English language brilliantly as men who have sex with men. And what that does is it's saying, whichever partner, whatever the arrangement might be, any part of this is contrary to God's way of doing things, both. How about adulterers? oh my gosh, I don't want anybody raising hands, but have you been in a relationship where your spouse cheated on you? The sanctity of marriage is violated by a spouse who steps out of it. How devastating is that to your relationship? The other one is idolaters, Paul mentions. Idolaters are people who worship other gods or other things. Idolatry in its simplest form is when you put something in front of God and worship that. This whole list, oh, and sexual immorality, uh, the word there in the Greek is porneia, and pornei covered a whole list of things. It's like, if I forgot to mention it, porneia. Okay. In other words, all that other stuff too. (laughs) So God's saying man, woman, one relationship, marriage relationship for a lifetime. That's God's plan for sexuality. This is good for you. Everything else is outside of God's will. And if it's something that's outside of God's will, the term for that is three letter word starts with S. What's that word? Okay. I didn't hear everybody. Let's all make sure we're comfortable saying it. That three letter word that says things that are opposite of God's way of doing things may be legal, may be accepted, But it's not God's way. So if it's outside of God's way, the three-letter word is? Sin. Okay. Now, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Am I right? All right. Raise your hand if you've never sinned. I mean, I do because I'm the pastor, right? (laughs) No, of course. Listen, we've all sinned. All of us. But this list right here is Paul's illustrative list of things that Corinth was downright rife with. See how it's so irrelevant to America? See, we look at it and we're like, we're not even on the list. America's so awesome. We don't need to deal with that. We need some other ones like, you know, capitalism, boo. No, this is us right here. That's America. See it? That's us. What just got really relevant in your life? God's way of doing things is contrary to culture's way of doing things. And when the question comes up, where do we go as Jesus followers? Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who continue to engage in these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Does that mean you may go to hell? Maybe. It might. But here's what it definitely means. You'll never understand what it is to be in a right relationship with God and God's people. You'll never fully understand God's way of doing things. You'll never know the real fellowship and and whole relationship with Jesus if you continue to live in ways that are contrary to his way of doing things. Does it mean that if you're born gay, you're going to hell? Can you hear me? Listen listen really loud. No. What it means is you have to make a decision about who you're going to follow in your life. Does it mean that if if you're born with an inclination to be a thief that you're going to hell? No. What it means is you have to put that behind you as a Jesus follower. What if you have a tendency to be a liar? Does that mean I was born with that proclivity, so I must be heading to hell? Your turn. No. No. It means you have to put that behind you and follow Jesus Christ. Can we do something as a church Can we do this? Can we quit acting like homosexuality is the kingpin of all sins and that greed and gluttony and selfishness and hoarding is somehow less evil? Can we stop that? Can we understand that Jesus loves people and calls all people to be able to have this their story? Some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You realize these things are contrary to God's will, and you put them behind you, and you said, that will no longer define me. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm going that direction. And then extend exactly the same grace to people whose sins might look a little different than yours. Can we do that? Can we, can we stop it with looking at people who have been caught in an adulterous relationship and go, oh, well, they can't go here anymore. <laughs> can't go to our church. Or shut them out. Close the door on those six, sad, terrible people. No, 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 no. But before we throw sand at them, let's start looking at our own lives and say, are you tithing? Are you being gracious with people when they wrong you? Are you holding even one grudge? Even one. Because before you're ready to attack, you need to clean up here and forgive as we've been forgiven, love as you've been loved, hold accountable, same way you want to be held accountable, judge the way you want to be judged. Call sin, sin, and love sinners. Let me do it one more time. Call sin, sin, and love sinners. Amen? See, that's what we're called to be as a church. That's good for you, right? That's good for God's people. That's good for the kingdom of heaven. That's what you're made for. That's what the instruction manual says. That's how the instructions put us together. So as we go into this third part, what is this issue of lifestyle sins? Well, in order to get to lifestyle sins, I want to use a really cool example. Now, seminary for me was 20 years ago, and so it's it's way back there. But there's one thing I still remember from Greek class, which I didn't pass. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Love it laughing at all you professors right now. So, so in this Greek class, here's what happens. He's trying to get us to understand this word. And the word is hoistess or haustess, depending on how you want to say it with your accent. I say hostess because here's how I remembered it. Hostess. Have you ever been to a restaurant and, and, and as you're coming in, the hostess is there. Here's what the hostess knows. She knows where the best seats in the house are, right? She knows the best things on the menu right now. The hostess knows who the cook is tonight and what she or he is really good about. They know which is going to come out the fastest, what the best pairing is, if you feel like a wine to pair with it or whatever. She knows the, all that's there. She knows everything in the house, and she's your gatekeeper to all the good stuff that's here. You want to know what's in there? You go through the hostess. She is ultimately the front of the house representative of all that's here behind her. You getting it? That word is hostess. In the Greek, it's the same word and it means this whomever, one who is, those two, uh, everyone who. That's the word hostess, hoistis, hostess. That's what it says. So if you look to the scriptures here and it says, anyone who, those who, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Don't be deceived. Those who are sexually immoral, adulterers, males of sex and males, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers. You, you will not inherit the kingdom. Hoistess is saying this, hostess, hoistess, hostess. You who say, this is what's in my house this is what I got. This is what I got to offer. I got swindling and thieving and immorality and adultery. That's me. (laughs) You're never going to understand the kingdom of heaven. Those who are this are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Are they going to go to hell? Maybe. Or maybe they're going to be Christians who will never mature, never grow up, never understand what it is to be in a healthy relationship with God and God's people. They got the minimum. They got the fire insurance card, but they've never grown in their faith. Or they were never Christians in the first place, and they're playing a game, hoping to stamp a fire insurance card, but they're going to stand before Jesus one day. He's going to go, uh, pfft. no, not in there. Depart from me. I never knew you, game player. You think I'm your fool? What, am i your drugstore Jesus? you just come to me when you need something. The rest of the time, you act like you don't know me. Guess who doesn't know who? You see, that's dangerous stuff we play with when we go, I get to do what I want to do, and ain't no Bible going to tell me what's right or wrong. I'll let the Supreme Court tell me what's right or wrong. You're going to stand before a holy, righteous God one day, and can I give you a little news? He doesn't care one whit what the laws of Estados Unidos have to say. What he's going to care about is what his law had to say. Were you washed? Were you sanctified? Were you set aside for a holy purpose? And were you a host of the things of God or a host of the things of mankind? So distinguishing a lifestyle sin really means this. Your life is defined by something. How many of you would agree, would agree that our lives are defined by something? Okay. The Christian has a lifestyle that's supposed to be defined, that is to say filled with the things that are of the Holy Spirit. And so in Galatians uh, chapter 5, Paul is speaking to the church there in, in Galatia. And he says, the fruit of the Spirit, okay, the hoistest that you're going to have, okay, uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what's going to fill you. This is what's going to be normal. When people encounter you, this is what you're going to be filled with. You're going to us this, So when people talk about you and your behavior, that's what we see. If we live by the Spirit, you're going to be in step with the Spirit. But if you live according to the culture and the flesh, then you're going to be hostess hostess to those things of the flesh. And when people come to you and see you, you are opening a door as a host or hostess to a lifestyle that's either in God or opposed to God. Hey, it's either in God or it's opposed to God. It's either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of this world. You got to make a choice. How many of us have sinned? All of us. How many of us recognize that that sinful behavior needs to be jettisoned from our life and we need to be more and more like Jesus every day? So uh, an illustration that, that I've always loved is this one. If, uh, if you are so fortunate enough to have this yummy that's up here on the screen and you go and, and, and then let's just say you sit down at the restaurant and, uh, you, and this comes out on the plate and, and, and your spouse doesn't know that you're doing it, just say, and you get to enjoy this, yay. And you get this amazing donut and it's got the, the cream chocolate filling and then the chocolate pastry and then it's got the powder sugar. When you bite into it, every bite is gonna be filled with what? Delicious guilt, right? So every every bite is filled with all this chocolatey, yummy, delicious, fantastic, and you're going to enjoy every minute of it until it's gone, and then you'll look across the table at your spouse who's going, mm, yeah, well. but that's just me. Okay, so so if you if you're eating this, every bite is filled with something that that is that, and if that chocolate yum yum delicious piece of heaven right there, it's all going to be chocolate. But what if what if it's filled with lemon instead. Okay, what's it going to taste like? I mean, other than garbage, what's it going to taste like? It's going to taste like lemon and chocolate, and that's immoral, you know? So if it's filled with like Bavarian cream, it's going to be filled with Bavarian cream. When you encounter a Christian, listen, when you encounter a Christian, what they're filled with is what you're going to encounter. And if they're filled with something other than Christ's likeness, you're going to get that feeling of biting into that chocolate eclair and it's got lemon filling in the middle. Eh, wrong. That's incorrect. That's not right. You know it's wrong. It's not supposed to be there. That's why nobody puts lemon filling in chocolate. So when you, it, it's wrong and when a Christian conducts himself in a way that's filled with the fruit of the flesh, everybody knows that's inconsistent with God's way of doing things. And what it says is those who are doing it are hosting something other than the Holy Spirit. You got it? Hey, you hear that? You hear that? That's the Holy Spirit and you saying, knock, knock, knock. I'm calling you to a lifestyle that's sanctified and holy and washed of those things. Repentance means you go in this direction, you stop, you turn, and you go a direction towards Jesus Christ, and it means those things need to be left behind you incrementally and systematically and permanently. You got those, right, note-takers? Incrementally, systematically, and permanently. That's the walk of a disciple that says, that doesn't define me anymore. Lifestyle sins are those things that continue to define you, that you identify in and stay in, contrary to to the calling of the gospel. If you've been baptized at Sturgeon Bay Community Church, and maybe others, you've heard this. Uh, When when we do this out out at the Bay, and by the way, we do this every Labor Day weekend, right? Uh, We do our baptism. Here's what happens. I'm going to take you, or one of our elders are going to take you, and they're going to say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are now buried with Christ, right? And you're raised to walk in newness of life. You will hear that phrase, every single time. What, 16, 16, 18 times a year when we, when we baptize, right? That's what you're going to hear. There's a reason for that, that repose, that, that constant phrase. You've been transformed, and now you're raised again in a whole new life. Live like you've been transformed. If you've been baptized by immersion, which I could I would say is the right and biblical way, you're you're gone under the water and when you come back up, you're a new creature. All that other stuff stays behind you, which means you're lying, you're thieving, you're swindling, your arrogance, your adulterousness, your homosexuality. Those things are past. They're not defining the Jesus follower anymore. However, (laughs) we still make space for him in our lives somehow. So there's this constant need to be remembered that we were baptized into Jesus and we need to be moving away from those. Jesus loves you, even in your sin, but says, come on, we've got to be growing every single day. And so Sturgeon Bay Community Church says this to you loud and clear, come as you are. We'll grow together. This is not a church for perfect people, okay? Okay. Everybody sins and falls short. We're growing together. By the way, just just real quick to plug this, uh, our annual outdoor baptism service is coming up on Labor Day, the, the first Sunday in September. It's going to be 10 a.m. It's going to be over at Sunset Park. This is always a huge fun event that we do as a church. It's the biggest thing we do all year. The food is epic. Um, if you would like to get baptized, if maybe your baptism was in a faith system that you no longer identify with, maybe your baptism is something you have no recollection of whatsoever, and you would like that to be something that you know and remember and do in the name of Jesus in front of your Christian brothers and sisters by the hundreds uh, who love you and or identifying with you, um, I would encourage you, grab an application at the ministry desk on the, on the way out or, or holler at the church office and we'll get you set up for that. Um, so with all those things said, let me, let me just draw us back to the three things we looked at and then let's go into a time of prayer. Uh, the text is saying uh, there's a godly way of living and there's a other than godly way of living. The kingdom of heaven has a way that shoves aside some of this ungodliness, okay? In their culture, just like it does in ours. Very specifically, those vices are mentioned. And those vices are wrong then, just like they're wrong now. There's nothing new under the sun. And then finally, lifestyle sins are those things that we identify with that are contrary to God's way of doing things. And God's called us strongly and unapologetically to live like him, And to put these other things behind us by being washed, by being sanctified through the leading of the Holy Spirit.